blessing. Uh, this morning, we are heading back into a series called Hashtag Blessed. And if you're here for the first time, just jumping in, we so are so thankful that you're here. Thanks for coming. We'd love to get to know you. Um, and uh, as we're heading into this series, so I'm asked, what, why, why Hashtag Blessed? Well, Hashtag Blessed is... A number of years ago on social media, this was really popular. If you go to Instagram right now and type it, I think there's 135 million different things tagged with hashtag blessed at the moment on Instagram. Um, but years ago, this was kind of this idea that you would, uh, every time something good happened in life, that was you'd say hashtag blessed and post on social media. If you maybe had that as a parent, you had that perfect moment, your kids are like all playing perfectly together right before they start beating each other up. And you take a picture of that moment, you post it online and say hashtag blessed. What a perfect family. Um, maybe you got a new iPhone, hashtag blessed. Uh, this past week, I had the privilege of being able to, with Shannon, going away for a few days for a, a kind of a spiritual retreat for a few days and next to the river. And what a blessing. I mean, I guess I missed my opportunities to post hashtag blessed. Uh, you get an extra nugget in your six-piece McNuggets, hashtag blessed, right? The Lord's just really taking care of you in those places. New car, new house, or maybe it's wine is 50% off at Costco, hashtag blessed. God is, is looking out for us. Whatever it is, it can, t- it can kind of be like a humble brag when we use that in the way that it's often been used over the years where we present this idea of blessing that's being defined by material gifts or success or power or the ideal life or temporary circumstances working out just the way that we want them to. And it's great to be blessed with those things. I was very blessed this week. And uh, Wendy just shared an incredible story of being blessed with an answer to the prayer. And those things are wonderful. But what do we say when we don't experience those temporary moments of blessing? Is it hashtag waiting to be blessed? Or where is my blessing? Or average? Um, what if we lose our job? Or, or the child isn't turning to Christ? Is it hashtag cursed? Like, what is that when we live in this place of always seeking out kind of the perfect response in those times? But in Scripture, the idea of blessing is something that's often we often misunderstand as we just kind of look at it. We see it primarily translated as temporary happiness. When the word that's often used in the New Testament to describe blessing or to be blessed is the word makarios, which the definition of it is a privileged recipient of divine favor. And that's more than just a temporary idea that's there, but it's, it's so much more than getting a discount on your cable bill or, you know, a perfect sunset selfie. But Ephesians opens up what we've been going through the last six months with this beautiful passage in chapter one. It says this, Paul says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, here it is, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, here is the blessing, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And he continues, God decided in advance, this is the blessing, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So the blessings of God, which he prepared for us from the beginning of the world, from before time began, was to give us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. This includes adopting us as his children, setting us apart, bringing us to himself. And so blessing is so much more than physical provisions, though it would include that. The greatest blessing we have as followers of Christ is the gift of God giving himself to us, of uniting us back with himself, of bringing us to himself and setting us apart. So blessing is so much more than physical provisions. Again, those are included. And now not only have we received his blessing, but as we saw a couple weeks ago, we are now called to give that blessing away, that we are blessed to be a blessing. We saw that a couple weeks ago in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. God is speaking to Abraham in what's called the Abrahamic covenant. He says this, 
I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. And if you missed out two weeks ago, the introduction of the series, I'd recommend go back and checking it out. But we are therefore called to take the blessing that God has bestowed upon us, and now our calling is now bless others, and to take that blessing and give it away. And along those lines, we've been going through this book, Bless, or we'll be going through as a church. If you haven't picked a copy up, I recommend it. I think we sold out all the copies. We'll get more in this week to get to, to, to put out a lobby. You can pick it up anywhere. But this book has done just such a beautiful job, in my opinion, of kind of hitting on this acronym that we'll be going through over the following weeks of B, begin with prayer, L for listen, E for eat, S for serve, and S to share the story. As we said two weeks ago, we want this to be a practical series as we go through this, of talking about blessing our neighbors. Not guilt-inducing, not making anyone feel bad, not um, just trying to just to say do more, but a tangible way of how can we actually bless our neighbors? How, do we bless, how are we blessed to be a blessing? As we saw two weeks ago, the central calling in the lives of Christians is to love God and to love our neighbors, right? That's our central calling, love God and love our neighbors, for us to live in love increasingly like Jesus. And so I love the way this book lays it out. And so today we're starting with the first letter B, or begin with prayer. And I recognize as Christians, when we talk about prayer, after you've been a follower of Jesus very long, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know, Christians are supposed to pray. And we say, yeah, I know, I know, I get it, I get it. But the question is, do we? Do we actually recognize the central role that prayer has in the life of believers and, and the significance of that? Oftentimes, prayer can be more like flossing for Christians, right? Something we know we're supposed to floss. You know it's a really good thing to floss, but like flossing, many Christians often don't see, they see the direct benefits of prayer. And so prayer becomes kind of formulaic and maybe to say the same thing regularly or maybe it just becomes really irregular as a result. And I know there are some crazy people probably out among us that actually floss every day, and God bless you if you're one of those wonderful people. Um, Amen. Well done, Karen. Um, My my, my dentist wish I had that. Um, But uh, the rest of us probably a couple times a year are forced to decide how much we're willing to lie and deceive our dentist, right? That when they ask us inevitably the question of, are you regularly flossing? And and we have to figure out, how, how, how much of a lie am I comfortable with? If you're like me, you just want to respond, define regular. Um, Does regular mean... Six months ago after I came last time, I tried it a few times, and then I haven't done it since. Then, then yes, very regularly, I've been doing it. But for many of us, um, prayer gets kind of becomes like that. It's kind of like when someone only goes to church maybe on Christmas and Easter, and every six months they go, and when you go into the dentist, you say, you know, um, thank you for guilt tripping me, and I'll see you again another six months for another guilt trip, just like those who would maybe only go to church on Christmas and Easter, and I'll see you again another six months for my next guilt trip. But that's the way we often can view prayer. It's something that's just formulaic. It's something we just do if we don't see the direct benefit of it. But Scripture shows us that prayer is foundational. We see that primarily, mostly through the life of Jesus all through, but that prayer is not some optional extra, but rather prayer is like the air hose for a scuba diver. It's, it's what breathes life. I, I did a whole series on this back in the fall of 2021 on the humanity of Christ showing that when Jesus came to earth and incarnated, he became 100% human, 100% God, and lived among us. And as he was among us, he chose not to take advantage of his divinity. That's what scripture tells us. He lived 100% human life, perfect in every way, perfectly united to the Father. And yet the gospels show that Jesus, in his humanity, despite having a perfect connection to the Father, Son, and the Spirit, being God himself, required prayer as a regular part of his life. It was the foundation, it was his lifeline to stay, remain connected and be able to live here on earth. And so I want to give a couple examples of that. We see initially when Jesus is, is baptized, 
in each of the Gospels, it shares the story. But Luke has, includes an extra detail. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21, he says this. When all people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, saying, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. So here we see Jesus being baptized, and as he's being baptized, we see what is Jesus doing? He's praying. Prayer isn't just something that he... Or, or Jesus didn't just power through all of life and do the stuff he did because he was Jesus, but he says over and over again, he is empowered by his prayer. The, the life with God, with his Father, through the Spirit, is what empowers him. Jesus required prayer in all that he did. In all the events of Scripture, and all the Gospels that we see, really only describe about 100 days of Jesus' entire life. So what you see in Scripture, you have to extrapolate out amongst the rest of his life. This was a regular part of his life. Next, in the next chapter, after a very successful ministry in Capernaum, Jesus was seeing people healed, and many people, the demons were cast out of them. We see Jesus gets up early in the morning in Luke chapter 4, verse 42. It says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. So Jesus' life is very full. All day long, people are vying for his attention and wanting him to be with them and pray for people, and especially the, the, the crowds of sick and the hurting, and, and even more so, the parents of the sick and the hurting that are vying for his attention and trying to get to Jesus. He's so successful. You think he get taken up with all the busyness and all the work that has to be done. And, but what it tells us is that in the midst of that, what does Jesus do? He gets away for times of solitude with his Father. He knows he must pray. And I'm going to keep hitting this, and because sometimes it's easy for us to fall into that yeah, yeah trap. I know, I know, I know. We can take it like a dentist telling us to floss with as much seriousness as we take it until our teeth start having issues, right? Or by a doctor saying, you know, you should really eat less salt. And you're like, does it affect me? Not really. Well, then, of course, I'm just going to keep eating salt until I can see a need for it. And a lot of us just don't see the need. We don't see the benefit. And so we just like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'll do it sometimes. But prayer was life to Jesus. And we see that Jesus gets up when no one else is around to be able to get time to be alone with his Father in solitude for quality time with him. Luke 5 tells the story of Jesus healing a leper. And as a result, the crowds mob him even more. And the very next verse, it says this in 5.15, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Here it is, 16. But Jesus often often, regularly, consistently, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So that is Jesus' response to the success and craziness of life. He often, regularly, consistently gets away to lonely places and prays. That's the rhythm of Jesus' life. It's his foundation. It's how he's able to handle the pressures. It's how he remains in that place of presence with his Father, how he addresses the overwhelming needs around him and all the pressures of the crowds, the endless demands on his time, the endless demands for his energy and his love is through time with his Father. He continually takes that time. We can't overstate the importance of this, the significance this played in the life of Christ, that everything in his life comes out of that life of prayer in connection to his Father. And there's so many more stories all throughout the Gospels where Jesus spends whole nights in prayer and regularly in prayer and teaches his disciples how to pray. And, and if Jesus, with a perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, perfect fellowship, he is God himself, and if he required that kind of time with his Father or to live here on this earth, how much more so do we? Far more broken. Far less in tune. How much more so do we require time to actually be with the Father? 
glean from him, learn from him, take our requests and our prayers to him. Because prayer is not just about communion with God. It's, in fact, we're going to do a whole series later this summer on, on prayer. But prayer is also, as, as Jesus describes it, bringing heaven to earth. For God's will to happen here on earth. And that's how Jesus tells us to pray. And it's, it's this crazy mystery that the God who spoke the universe into existence chooses to partner with his creation in how he engages in this world. It's something we will never be able to understand. That God just doesn't do it all on his own. It's not some giant ant farm that he just mixed up beginning and said, run. But actually, God involves us in the process. God chooses to work through the power of the prayers of his people. And so Jesus says, when you pray, he says, pray like this. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven. Wonderful is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how he tells us to pray. That we pray that God's kingdom will come and his will will be done in our lives, in the lives of those around us. Because prayer is the most central avenue of kingdom transformation. Everything flows out of it. We pray for God's will to be done and his kingdom to come. We pray that over our lives and over all of those that he's calling us to bless. And as we do that, God works. He moves. That's, I don't understand how God chose this as the means, but he chose that he wants to work. He wants to partner with his children. It's an amazing reality. And he says that we must pray this way. And as we do that, what's interesting is the first way he usually works is not actually in changing the circumstances of whatever we're praying for or even of changing the person we're praying for. But the primary way it often starts is that prayer, in fact, changes us before it changes anything else. And this is one of the most significant aspects of prayer is it changes us. Prayer is not just talking at God. It's also listening, letting his words resonate in our hearts and our minds. Through prayer, God changes our hearts. It brings us in alignment with God's heart. As we pray for others in circumstances, our heart increasingly comes in alignment with God's heart. As you pray for someone who has hurt you or someone that's, that, that's caused harm in some way, you, you find it difficult to be angry with them the more you pray for them. As you begin to see them through God's eyes, and he gives you your heart for that person or that circumstance. The same is true for a neighbor or a coworker or an estranged family member that has hurt you. Even if we're indifferent towards them now or a circumstance, as we make a daily habit of praying for them, we increasingly grow a deep heart towards that person and we pray even more and begin to move towards them. So we must pray to allow God to bring our hearts in alignment to his. Not just to pray for a neighbor and say, oh God, bless Rajesh or bless my neighbor Frank or my coworker John but to genuinely lean in, to not just make it some flippant, oh God, just pray, but lean in and, and pray and ask the Lord how to pray for them. And I mean, to pray so much more when we pray, it's not just, you know, just like some laundry list or checklist we just throw off, okay, and bless John and bless Frank and, and Rajesh and all the rest, but to lean in and say, Lord, may, may Rajesh come to know you, Lord. And Jesus, I lift up his whole family to you and his son, Arun, and his daughter, uh, Josh, and, and, and his wife, uh, Anna. And Lord, we, we, we pray that you would draw him to your heart, Lord. 
Lord. May you, may you transform him. And you, and you continue to pray and you ask God for ways to pray. And you say, like, I know he's working six days a week and 12-hour days. And Lord, may you meet him in his place of work where we pray that there be voices at his office to be able to speak to him. And, and God, give me opportunities to have favor in his life. Open up doors that I can be able to share a meal with him. Open up doors for our, our kids to connect more frequently. Open up doors, Lord, for me to be able to serve him. And Lord, should I mow his lawn? Like, Lord, bless him, Father, but use me to do it. And as we pray and lean in, something radical happens in how we relate to those people. We begin to get God's heart for them. As we begin to ask him to, if it's someone from a different culture, ask him, Lord, give me a heart for that culture. There, many of us have a lot of Indian neighbors have moved in recently. Lord, give me a heart for Indian culture and Indian food and Indian music and all the rest. I want deep curiosity, Father. Or maybe it's Chinese neighbors or someone from a different culture, whatever it is. Lord, help me to be able to relate and understand God. Work in my life, Lord, as we, re- as we reach out to them. Another fruit of praying is that it attunes our spirit to the Spirit's promptings and attunes us to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The more we build the habit of praying for others, the more we pick up on the ways that God is working, the more quickly we recognize that we are already, when we're already moving in that direction, the more quickly we recognize what He's doing and the more easy it is to partner with the Holy Spirit. The more we pray for others, the more our antenna are up for the things that God is already at work doing, the louder the Spirit's voice is in our head. There's an old phrase, you know, it's hard to move a ship at port. And that to me is kind of what it's like as we engage with people around us. It takes a lot of effort to move a ship away from a dock, a big ship. And as the, you know, the propellers start churning or what, it takes a lot of effort to get that boat moving. But once it's moving, a tiny turn of the wheel and, and it'll pivot. Once the sailboat's out there, a tiny gentle breeze and it will move. And the same often is true of us hearing from God. If we're just sitting still and not engaging and praying for our neighbors, we will miss 99% of the things that God is doing because we are not lining our hearts to his and what he's doing. But when we're, act- when we're actively praying, we'll be able to pick up on the things that God is saying, and we're so much more readily active and able to hear the God's leading. It's so hard when we're not actively praying for others and the people around us and our heart already moving that direction. It's, again, it's like trying to move a, a sailboat without a sail up. It takes so much work and so much effort, and we miss out on most of it. But when we're tuned in, it's like our sails are up and the giant, just a gentle breeze of the Spirit, and we respond, and we hear, and we listen. So often we miss the proddings of God's Spirit, because we're not already working in that way. In fact, we're just sitting still. But when we regularly pray for the lost, that sensitivity and awareness grows and grows and grows. And I just want to keep growing in attentiveness to the Spirit's leading and His prodding with friends and family and neighbors and co-workers. I want to be open to obey his direction more quickly and easily. And that means I must begin with prayer and be praying for those around me. There's a great quote I love from Corrie ten Boom. She was one that was in prison during the Holocaust for working and saving Jews. She said, we never know how God will answer our prayers, but we can expect that he will get us involved in his plan in the answer. If we are true intercessors, we must be ready to take part in God's work on behalf of the people of whom we pray. The more we pray, we don't know how God's going to answer, but we do can expect is he's going to use us in some way. So we pray not just for God to change the person, but also for God to change us. 
to align our hearts to His, to help open our eyes to the Spirit's promptings and our ears to His his voice so that we can more easily partner with Him and and live in love like Him more. And maybe we'll realize in the process that we need to send a text message to someone or or go mow someone's lawn or or bring a meal to someone. I, I was just this week, I heard from numerous people in our body who've been, you know, responding to the Spirit's promptings recently. Someone came up to me and told me last week that they felt the Lord told them to pick flowers out of their garden and take it to someone at their work. And it was just a radical blessing for someone who was just so angry at God. And that gesture just totally changed that person. Another person told me how they felt to make a meal this past week and take it to someone unprompted by them, and they did it, and what a blessing that was. Another person told me the story of how they felt to call someone up this week. They just felt they were supposed to get in touch with them and didn't know why, and it was a radical difference of someone who's at that juncture of faith, of really wrestling and struggling, and they were exactly listening to God at that moment. That's exciting. I love the story in in this book, Blessed, that was told, if you've taken a look at it. It's a story about Beth Moore, who's a traveling Bible teacher. She was at an airport one day, a really busy airport, And as she was there, things were chaotic around her, so she just had to stop, sit down, and pray for a few minutes before her flight. And as she's praying, she looks up, and she keeps seeing this older man in front of her in a wheelchair with really tussled, messy, long gray hair, and he just looked like a mess. And her eyes kept kind of glancing towards him. She's like, no, Lord, I don't want to go pray for him. No, Lord, I don't want to share my faith with him. And she kept trying to ignore it, and she couldn't ignore it any longer. And then she's like, Lord, I don't want to do this. And she felt the Lord very clearly tell her, don't share their faith with him. Go brush his hair. She's like, oh, that's worse. And so, because she was already in line, she went and she listened, and she walked up to him feeling super awkward, and everyone's kind of looked at this guy, and she says, sir, uh, can, I, can I brush your hair? And he says, sorry, lady, you have to talk louder if you want to talk to me. And the whole airport's looking at her now, and she's like, sir, can I brush your hair? He's like, if you want to. And she's like, I don't want to do that. Um, but I want to pick it up in the, the book here and read the rest of the story here. It says, She says, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? She says, I watched him look up at me with an absolute shock on his face and say, if you really want to, are you kidding? Of course I didn't want to, but God didn't seem interested in my personal preference about then. Yes, sir, I would be pleased, but I have one little problem, she says. I don't have a hairbrush. He says, I have one in my bag. Beth went to the back of the stranger's wheelchair, unzipped the old carry-on to retrieve the hairbrush, and started brushing the old man's hair. She continues, a miraculous thing happened to me as I started brushing that old man's hair. Everybody else seemed to disappear. There was no one alive for these moments except that old man and me. I brushed, I brushed, and I brushed until every tangle was out. I know this sounds so strange, but I've never felt that kind of love for another soul in my entire life. I believe with all my heart, I, for that few minutes, felt a portion of the very love of God. The emotions were so strong and so pure that I knew they had to be God's. His hair was finally as soft and as smooth as an infant's. I slipped the brush back in the bag, went around to the chair to face him, and got back down on my knees, and I put my knees on his hands, and I said, Sir, do you know my Jesus? He said, Yes, I do. I've I've known him ever since I married my bride. She wouldn't marry me until I got to know the Savior. He said, You see, the problem is that I haven't seen my bride in months. I just had open-heart surgery, and she's been too ill to come see me. I've been sitting here thinking to myself, what a mess I must be for my bride. Beth concludes, only God knows how often he allows us to be part of a divine moment when we're completely unaware of the significance. God had intervened in details only he could have known. It was a great moment, and I'll never forget it. I love that story. Her prayer wasn't even for this man at the time, but brought her in alignment with God's heart. That she was already postured outwardly looking around to 
God, who are you moving among? And as she prayed, she was open to the still, small voice of the Lord. Prayer had changed her and her ability to go and influence others. And so, therefore, we begin with prayer. And we pray for God to change us, to align our hearts to His, to align our spirit to His, to hear His voice. But we don't only pray for God to change us, we also pray for God to raise the dead. Now, that may sound a little awkward for some of us, I get a little too charismatic, right? but for God to do the miracle of turning hearts into himself. And that's the passage we started with today that Rich read for us earlier, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, Once you were dead because your disobedience and your many sins, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised, us from, raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Again, here it is, third time. For he raised us from the dead, along with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus. Three times, Paul says, we, are dead in our, we were dead in our sins, and Christ came and raised us from the dead. Jesus gave us life from death. That's how Paul describes those who don't know Jesus, that they are dead in their sins. What hope does a dead body have of life? None. And that's the example he's using. I heard a professor um, once teaching on this section of Ephesians that actually brought a cadaver into the classroom. A real corpse brought him in, just looking at him. He goes, this is a dead body, just to make the point. What can a dead body do? Not a whole lot. What hope does a dead body have? Not a whole lot. The point he's made, the same one that uh, Miracle Max made, we showed that video, I think, last year, of he was not mostly dead, he's all dead, Right? And so our central calling as Christians is to take the love of Christ to a dying world. And what hope do we have, therefore, of raising the dead? As Christians, what hope do we have to see any dead body raised? Can we follow a good formula of how to reach the lost? Is this book going to raise the dead? Absolutely not. Do we just play the right kind of song or maybe ask the right kind of questions? Maybe we need just the right amount of smoke from a smoke machine and that will make the difference. Maybe it's just the right amount of emotion or the perfect questions. Or maybe it's apologetics. Maybe we just need to memorize the best gotcha questions and and learn how to be the best debater. And and then we can argue people into the faith. And nothing wrong with apologetics. It's amazing. It's an incredible way to open a door, but it doesn't change hearts. Francis Chan is this great example he uses. He says, if I were to ask you to go to a funeral with an open casket and I ask you to to, raise, to pray and raise someone from the dead. What hope do you have of that on your own? And I said, you could take anyone, find anyone across the world to go with you, to go see someone raised from the dead of the open casket. I mean, who would you take with you? Would you take the world's best doctor? A bit late for that. Maybe the world's best philosopher. Maybe a guy with multiple PhDs in apologetics that gets billions of views on YouTube. Would you take an eloquent preacher that can move hearts? Or maybe take an iPad so you can show them the Chosen series or show them some other great evangelistic video. Right? All those things are great things in themselves, but they are useless to a dead body who can't hear, can't see, can't understand. None of those things can bring life to the dead. What is the only hope that we have? It's Jesus. That's the only hope we have. Only Jesus has power over life and death. Therefore, we begin with prayer. Because only Jesus can raise the dead. Only Jesus can bring life 
into a body that is filled with death and sin and brokenness and pain. We are to reflect His love. We will, he will work through us as we're obedient. He'll work through our words and through our actions, but it's only Jesus that can change a heart. I was confronted with this when I was a missionary in China. I, used to, I got really into scientific apologetics when I was there. They say that, you know, that there's no religion in China, which isn't true. For the younger generation, the religion is science. It's completely that. That's the re- it is a, just as true as any religion. And I got really good at in, in using Mandarin to be able to do kind of an apologetic speech and debate thing that I would do in Mandarin with my Chinese friends. And some people came to Christ. In fact, even my foreign missionary friends would invite me over to kind of debate and give my spiel to their Chinese friends that were there. And I got really good and really confident of my ability to be able to kind of prove with science that atheism took more faith than Christianity did, right? And I was able to show how science proves the existence of God and all this rest. And I'll be honest, I got a little arrogant with that and I'd go on and I'd debate people and I, I, was, I was pretty proud of myself. And we saw a bunch of people accept Christ and then a bunch kind of walk away later on. And eventually a dear friend of mine was a mentor of mine, been there for decades beyond me, sat me aside and he said, James, if you are so smart that you can argue someone into the faith, someone who's smarter than you is going to be just as easily able to argue them out. It's not about what you know, it's who you know, right? And Jesus is the only one that changes hearts, not you. And while I still continue to use apologetics and other examples, instead I recognize that that's a beautiful tool to open a door of curiosity and to be able to create opportunity, but Jesus is the only one that can raise the dead. Therefore, we begin with prayer. That's where it starts. Lord, this is on you. We need you to do something in this person's heart. Because only God can change hearts. Um, a number of years ago, Sarah and I we were living in South Africa. Um, as missionaries there, we had a, a, a landlord that we would see every few months when he would come and collect our rent. And this was one of the most challenging situations I'm involved. Our landlord was a French atheist professor of climatology. Um, talk about kind of the levels of disinterest. He hated Christianity, hated all faith, was an avowed atheist, had multiple PhDs, and he knew it, and he knew how smart he was, and he knew how dumb I was, and he used to mock the idea of missionaries. He thought it was hilarious what we wasted our time and energy on, but he was more than happy to take our money. Um, and so every few months, we'd get a few minutes with him as he'd come and pick up the rent money. And I, I just, I'll be honest, I've never, I don't know if I've ever been more intimidated by someone that I just felt like, Lord, I have no hope. Like, this guy just mocks anything I say. He, he thinks I'm an idiot. He, he thinks this is stupid. Like, how do I get through to someone who's this smart, this wise, this arrogant, this so far from you? And so I just thought, I just need to pray. And so I just started praying like crazy for this guy. And we're leading up to him coming for our, come back to collect the rent money. I was praying and praying. He said, Lord, provide an opportunity, Lord. There's got to be something. How do I connect into his life? There's got to be something, Lord. Like, help me to be a light to this dude. Anyways, the next, day, the next time he came over for the rent money, and as he was standing at the door to collect the money, I saw just something in his eyes. It's like a sadness. And I started to ask him some questions. He began to share a little bit. I invited him in, and then he shared that his marriage was over. His wife was divorcing him. He was living out of a hotel. And he shared, which kind of hurt us at the moment. He's like, and I'm going to have to kick you out because I'm going to come live here instead. I can't just keep living in a hotel. And so I thought, okay, now I have double motivation for this prayer because I want him to be to experience God and a renewed marriage. I also don't want to lose my home. Um, so Lord, you really got to move. Um, and as I was listening to him, as he was sharing, I'm just like, Lord, work in this man's life. And as he, as he finished sharing, I, I said this, asked this crazy question. I said, I know you think God is stupid and prayer is dumb, but would it be okay if I pray for you? And to my shock, he said, sure, why not? It can't hurt. And so I prayed my heart out over this man. 
praying that God would restore his relationship, that his wife would reach out to him, that God would soften his heart and God would speak to him, show him that God is real. And then he left. I'm like, Lord, I don't, I'll just keep praying. A couple days later, I get a phone call. God is the one that changes hearts, not James. I get a phone call, and he says, James, I'm really confused. I don't know how it's possible, but the God that you prayed to heard you and responded. He says, my wife reached out to me. She says she doesn't know why. She wants to reconcile. She's inviting me back home. I'm moving back home today. He's like, I'm so confused. I don't know how this is possible. Thank you for praying. Amen? It is God who changes hearts, not man. God is the one who raises the dead. And so we begin with prayer. And we must pray for the lost. We must have a burden for the lost. We must ask the Lord for a burden for those that do not know him. We must cultivate a deep heart and a burden for the lost, not only for family that have walked away, but yes, for them, but for all of those who are lost that are in our circle of influence. There is nothing more on the heart of God than the lost. And if we love Jesus, we must increasingly love what Jesus loves. And that means loving who Jesus loves. And that's the lost. One of the craziest parts of the Bible is found in Romans chapter 8 and 9. A passage that anyone who's been following Jesus for a while has heard. It's the the most glorious mountaintop probably found anywhere in Scripture. I want to read it for us. As, I mean, for everyone, this has got to be almost everyone's favorite part of Scripture. It's amazing. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And I'll try not to say it without getting too excited. Um, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here it is. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? I mean, this is amazing. It is, Paul is at the height of glory. He's got his head so full of the gory cloud, he can't even see the earth at this point. And we are there with him. Martin Luther says about this passage, he says, if anyone is ever depressed or struggling, I pray that their Bible would fall open to Romans chapter 8 to read this again and again and again. It's amazing at the, the height of ecstasy that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul is caught up in that place of beauty and wonder and glory. Sorry, Sarah, I failed. Um, but... Uh, the next verse is chapter 9, verse 1. Check this out. Next verse, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness or confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race the people of Israel. What? From that height, he says, I have unceasing anguish and sorrow. I wish I was cursed and cut off from Jesus. What? How could Paul go from the height of that glory, of that God who nothing can separate us from his love, to the pit of despair in one verse? 
that he would rather be cut off from Christ and lose Jesus. What's going on? Because he says, from that place of the glory cloud, he began to think of all of those who don't know Jesus. His fellow Jewish brothers and sisters who do not yet know Christ. And he went from the height of glory to the pit of despair. And he says, I have sorrow and unceasing anguish. And he says, Lord, all I want is for them. I would give up my own salvation, he says. Can Paul really care about it that much? I mean, that just seems quite a bit of hyperbole. Clearly, Paul is exaggerating. I mean, this Paul, there's no one in Scripture that speaks of loving Jesus quite the same way that Paul does. No way would he ever say, I would even give up my own salvation for the sake of my fellow Jewish brothers and sisters coming to know Christ. I mean, that clearly he's not speaking in reality terms there. Unless you go back and read verse 1 again there. Put that passage back up. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. Three times, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying, in case you thought he was. If you think he's exaggerating, he says, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Three times he doubles down. He goes, no, this is real. This is what's upon my heart. This is what keeps me up day and night is the reality that there are people around me who don't know Jesus and they are losing their lives without him. And I would give anything, including myself, if they would come to know Christ. Do we yearn for the law? Do we share Jesus' passion for the lost? Because where does that passion come from? Where does that heart? It's not that Paul is superhuman. It comes from Jesus. He's accepted the heart of Christ. He's prayed to the degree that God's heart has become his heart. And he identifies it with the level that it consumes him. Do we have a heart for those who are hurting and those who are lost? Because that's the heart of Jesus. Do we pray with a yearning for those that don't know him to come to know him that are around us? Do we reorder our lives in order to make it possible for us to be around them and share his love with them and the way we engage? Or does most of our energy go into caring for us and mine and and ours and my family and creating more comfort, acquiring more stuff? Or do we make real time to make sacrifices for those that don't know him? Sacrificing our time and our energy and our priorities to reconcile with a family member maybe that's we've heard or has hurt us to share Jesus's heart with those who have walked away. I love Craig Groeschel, the pastor, has a statement that I love. He says, we will do anything short of sin to reach the lost. I love that mentality. Whatever it takes, Lord. So the big question this week, for this week is, are we willing to make prayer a priority? And I know there's already people that are excelling in this, and this is your life is represented by this, and I could do so many shout outs today of people that are living this life out, and that's awesome. But to the broader, are we willing to make prayer a priority if it's not currently a praying for the lost? To orient our hearts towards those who don't know Jesus. To ask him to change us, to ask him to change our hearts to be more like his. To move outside of our comfort zones, to pursue relationships with those who are different than us. Maybe that means getting to know our Indian neighbors or our Chinese neighbors or our Republican neighbors or our Democrat neighbors or our neighbors with a big Trump sign or those that have a Black Lives Matter sign. Sarah just shared a picture with me yesterday. She's in Indiana with the kids right now. I'm traveling there, and the house right next to her dad's there. It's, a, it's, it's Trump country, and there was a giant sign that said a very bad word about Biden, and Hudson, who's just learning to read, was sounding out the letters of it, and she said, she said he, he, thought, it was, 
He thought it was duck. He was trying to understand what it said, and he's sounding it out, and she's like, she's saying, he's like, don't say it. He said it like 10 times in a row, and she's like, this little, he's a seven-year-old kid has no clue what it means, and she, she's like, no, we're not supposed to say it. He's like, why not? There was like an awkward conversation of not only the word, but why would they say that about a president? Um, regardless of the signs that are there, maybe it's a Black Lives Matter flag sign, maybe it's a pride flag, whatever it is, are we willing to step outside of our comfort zones to get God's heart for those that are around us? Maybe a family member we've written off. Some of us, the reality is we probably need to repent. Maybe we've been so self-absorbed that we're not actually looking up. We don't see the man with the gray hair standing right in front of us that God is leading us to, or the neighbor literally next door to us, or the coworker at the cubicle next to us, because we're so self-absorbed that we're not actively praying. Our hearts aren't in alignment with his. Our sails aren't up, they're down, and God has to scream and shout to move us. We need to pray for God to change our hearts and to open us up to be aligned to His and to hear His Spirit. So this morning, I want to finish by us just praying for our neighbors. Taking a couple of minutes to pray for our coworkers, maybe it's family. We've talked about find your five that you're going to pray for. I mean, you should be knowing your neighbors' names, but and of those, we've asked to, to pick one to really focus on. And if you've not yet picked the one person in these next few weeks to focus on, please do so. If you're just like, yeah, 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 whatever, no, please do so. This is a chance to engage and this week, pray daily for them. Don't, don't just pick a random time, but pick a regular time that you do every day at the same time to make sure it happens. For me, that's as soon as I wake up. The moment I wake up, my eyes open. And sometimes before my eyes open, I'm awake. I just take that few minutes to pray for my neighbors, to pray for my family, pray for other stuff before the day starts, before anything happens. That's my time where I just make sure I'm praying for others. But whatever time it is, pick a time to pray and pray for those around you. And don't just say their name, but contend for them. If you don't know what to pray, here's some examples of things you can be praying for. You could pray for your neighbors by name. That means you need to know their name and, and know what they're going through. In a couple of weeks, we'll be talking much more about listening and learning more about our neighbors. Pray for their spiritual curiosity and health. Pray for their physical health. Pray for their children and their work life. Pray for opportunities to serve them. Pray for opportunities to share your story. But let's pray. So right now, let's just take a few, couple minutes. I want you just, wherever you're at, let's pray for our neighbors by name and contend with the Lord for them. You do that with me? So Jesus, we just come to you right now, and we lift our neighbors up to you. So with you, with me, pray out loud right now, and just pray and lift up your neighbors by name to the Lord, and begin praying for them at this moment. All right, Jesus, we come to you right now, Father. And Jesus, I ask, Lord, that you would reach out, Father, to my neighbor. I lift up, I shook to you, Lord Jesus, right now. And Father, I pray for him, Father God, that you would, Lord, work in his heart, and may he encounter you. Jesus, I pray for Ananya, his daughter, Lord, and the relationship they have with my kids, Lord. And I pray that may they represent you to her and may she have curiosity about who you are as she spends times in our home and she gets to know us. Lord, may she encounter your love in your life, Lord. I pray may she be able to come with us to VBX and other places and, and encounter you, Lord. And for a shook, Lord, I pray, God, may you increase our times together. Lord, may I be able to speak more into his life. I thank you for the meals we've had together. I pray for more of those, Lord. And pray, Lord, that you would move my heart increasingly towards his. Lord, I know that even a couple weeks ago, I intentionally avoided him because I was just busy. And so I, I walked away and ran to the house. And Lord, I just pray, Father, may you open my heart up to yours to continue to pursue him, that he may know you, Lord. Father, give me favor with him, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that raises the dead, not us. Jesus, put our hearts in alignment to yours. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we finish today, I 
recognize, even today, there are some here. As the worship team comes up, I, I recognize there's some here right now that are still in that place of, you don't know Jesus. You understand what it means to be dead in sin. You've experienced hopelessness and pain. Maybe you're watching online and, and you recognize that you don't know that form of life. I want to encourage you right now that Jesus is the one who raises the dead. He's the one that brings hope to the hopeless. And I want to pray of you right now and invite you to, if you're at that place of wrestling with God and there's any tinge within you that knows that there's something responding that you want to respond in some way, I encourage you to pray with me right now. You just say, Jesus, we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus, right now I pray for those who are on the outskirts, who are feeling far away but being drawn near. There's something drawing them to you. Holy Spirit, right now move in their hearts right now. For those that are watching online, Lord, I pray right now, move within the hearts and draw people unto yourself. For those that feel they, they recognize it's a dead life that is of pain and heartache and sorrow, Jesus, breathe your words of life. If that's you just right now, to say, Jesus, I need you. I don't even understand. I don't even know this God that is real or not, but Lord, I just pray out and say, Lord, if you are real, reveal yourself to me right now. I pray and reach out and say, God, I need you. I need life. I need hope. And we pray. Amen.